Last week we began our series on Christ's community by discussing what that community looks like. We harnessed our inner Food Network star and discussed what a salad should taste like and analogized that image with the church and what it should look like. We then spent transformation groups discussing what we currently look like and what we ought to look like. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks on the same train of thought. Some of the ideas that you put on the whiteboard we'll be discussing in um, the coming weeks. Uh, but we ought to look, before we jump into the whiteboard, we ought to look at Christ's community here in Frisco at Yak. And before we dive into the super practical, we need to be reminded of what it means to be Christ's community. What does it mean to be Christ's community? So let me pray, and we'll dive right in. Father God, as we dive into the discussion of what it is to be yours tonight, we be reminded of who we submit ourselves to. And we don't submit because of some overlord dictator fear, but because we know that you are someone who loves us. And may we come to understand that in a greater way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does it mean to be Christ's community? It means to be loved. And not just by anybody, but by the Creator. By the God of the universe. And you know many of the verses that purport this idea of what it means to be Christ's community. To be loved, to be His. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commands to a thousand generations. Psalm 136, 26. Give thanks to the God of the heavens for His steadfast Love endures forever. Romans 8, 37-39. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life, no, sorry, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor debts, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We get that God loves us, or we should if we open up Scripture at all. And if you are in Christ, you know that you're really being a Christian is all about love as we look at really any place in Scripture. And we are called to love over and over again. It's the thing we're called to. Galatians 5.14 For the entire law, all of the Ten Commandments, is filled in this one command, which is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. 1 Corinthians 16.14 Do everything in love. And over all these virtues, put on 
love which binds them all up together in perfect unity. Colossians 3.14 I love how Paul says it, hence why it's your first fill in the blank tonight. And I bet you can guess what it is. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts... It's all that matters. <clears throat> if you walk out of here tonight, or you walk out of church any Sunday morning, and you're wondering, what's this all about? It's about love. Love is a big deal. And you could argue it's the most important concept in Scripture. You could argue it's the most important thing in Scripture. And I know some of you would be like, oh, AJ, that's going too far because the most important thing in Scripture is God. And you would be right. Because guess what? A person and a concept known as, as love is the same thing. That's why 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. I had a pastor... Once, who never referred to his congregation, at least from the pulpit, as congregation or church. He always referred to his congregation as beloved. And maybe that's something I should start picking up. Just to remind us of who you are. At the end of the day, you're loved. But you're not just that. You're loved by God, and then you're called to love like God. And love is a great idea, right? Until you're called to love somebody you don't get to choose. So your next fill in the blank, after God is love. Next fill in the blank is this. Loving your neighbor as yourself is easy until you meet the neighbor's. Loving your neighbor as yourself is easy until you actually meet the neighbors. Some of you, if you're like me, are like, man, you should stay on the other side of that six-foot fence you built, and we'd be fine. Maybe eight. You could build an eight-foot fence and put in a barrier on top to really fortify that baby against hurricanes or your attitude, whichever. Right? It's easy. Loving your neighbor as yourself is easy until you meet the neighbors. And loving people at Yak sounds easy until you run into that person, right? But what is love? Can we get out of it? By giving it a definition that we're comfortable with. Well, love is only this, and therefore I don't have to deal with that neighbor, right? I won't spend too much time on what it isn't, because we spent a whole series on love in the fall Go back on iTunes if you need a refresher. I will simply remind you of this because I have to because we live in this culture. Love is not your emotions. Okay? It is not Anna falling in love with Hans or whatever. Okay? It isn't. Okay? American culture defines love like this. It's driven by what you want. You choose to embrace what you want in order to get what you want. Love involves your emotions, yes. Love involves your emotions, yet, But it, does not defi- it is not defined by it. But what is love? And that brings me to my first of the four points tonight 
on what is love. First, love, it's your next one in the blank, first love is a commitment. First love is a commitment. During the Exodus, God said to Moses, I will be their God and they will be my people. There was a commitment made and a promise would be kept even during all the rebellion of the Old Testament. He was theirs and they were his. Love is saying yes, yes, yes. And always having the fire and the hearth ready when the rebellious are ready to come home. That's what love is. It's a commitment. The father in the prodigal son is committed to his child. Why? Because he loves him. Joseph, the dreamer, leader in Egypt, was committed to the well-being of his brothers and father when they pleaded for food because he had learned to love them. The greatest love stories in cinema and in books... And all the ones that we dream about on the best love stories or the best friendships are the ones that are founded in a commitment of love. Someone that says, I do every day, even on the days that we feel like we can't. That's what we want out of love. Commitment. Second, love is to be with. It's your next one on the blank. Love is to be with. If love is first commitment, then you have to ask what are they committed to? You have to be committed to be with that person. Look, it seems simple, really. Like, I know you're like, well, duh, but we have to say it. Because some of us still don't get it. Okay? It means to be with. You don't get married and then spend all your time apart. You want to be with them. You don't say, I had the best parents growing up if they never spent any time with you. Even old school pen pals, people that used to write to each other to keep up, would talk about the future time they would get to spend with each other. Or the previous times that they got to spend with each other. And that is the beauty of Christianity. I will be their God and they will be my people, Jeremiah 32. There is a sense of being with one another, with our God. Even the titles given to Christ at the manger and Bethlehem evoke this idea. What is one of his titles? Emmanuel, which means God with us. We worship a personal God who wants to be with us. While we understand that we should have a desire to be with the Lord, many of us rarely dwell on the fact that we have a God that has a desire to be with us. We don't consider the sacrifice He made in which to make that with possible. And eternity will be spent with our beloved, and hell itself is to be without the love of God. Even after the incarnation of Christ, he sent his spirit to be what? With us. Love, this is your next fill in the blank, cannot be love without presence. Love cannot be love without presence. Is that T-S or C? No. C-E. C-E. Okay. S-E-N-C-E. Not- 
And while we tend to limit our idea of love to romantic relationships, we miss what love is. Remember, Jesus was never married, and he was love incarnate. It does not take a romantic relationship to experience love. And likely Paul, too, was not married, but the idea of love dominated his ministry. And when we see that love is to be with and to be committed to, it leads us to the idea of your next fill in the blank, which is love stands with somebody no matter what. No matter the offense, no matter the hurt, no matter if they're wrong, and they are a lot of the times, right? Love stands with someone no matter what. Third, love is to be for. Love is to be for. I love the story found in Scott McKnight's book, A Different Fellowship of... uh, Sorry, Scott McKnight's book, A Fellowship of Difference. It's this idea that love in the Bible is also a rugged commitment to be for a person. To love someone means that you're an advocate who is on their side. Chris's, uh, he tells the story of um, Chris's mother was named Betty and her father was named Ron. Ron and Betty routinely drove 100 miles from Freepoint to Libertyville to watch their grandson, Chris's son, Lucas, play baseball. Lucas knew their love through their presence. Their 100-mile trip, his grandparents made regularly to see him play ball. Betty had a way of saying things that drove home that she was Lucas's biggest fan and advocate. And he remembers one time after a long, hot-weathered baseball game, and it's even worse for the people that attend the baseball game, baseball players, than it is for the people that are in the shade in the dugout. Sometimes you're in the bleachers and it's hot, okay? And after the game, it was awful. Lucas's team had lost, even though he was good at the plate. And his grandmother, Betsy, said, Lucas... I wish your coach would let you bat every time. Just forget everyone else. And it just spoke to Lucas in that moment to think, I got an advocate. I got someone who's for me. Who's there. It helped him internalize it. He knew that his grandma had his back. To love someone means you are their advocate and you're on their side. To love someone means that you're their advocate and you're on their side. To quote Jeremiah 32 again, I will be their God and they will be my people. This statement implies commitment, presence, and advocacy. It's why it's repeated again at the end of the Bible too in Revelation 21.7b. I will be his God and he will be my child. A good father is an advocate for his son, just as a good God is an advocate for his people, and he is for their good. Lastly, fourth one. Love is unto. U-N-T-O. Love is unto. AJ, what do you mean by that? This is your next fill in the blank. It explains it. If with is the principle of presence, and for is the principle of advocacy, Untuness is the principle of direction. Untuness is the principle of direction. It comes down to influence. We all know this. Okay? Just this idea of influence when you spend time with somebody. My taste for food 
over the course of the last decade has slowly changed to mimic more of my wife's because she's the one and I'm the one that we share cooking, right? Just as my wife's taste in food has slowly changed over the course of 10 years to mimic more of mine. If a close friend picks up a new hobby, believe it or not, you're likely to pick up that hobby too. Why? Because you'll fall in line to want to do what they are doing. It's this untuness. It's this moving in the same direction. You'll end up becoming more like one another, more unto each other. It's the same concept as bad company corrupts morals, right? You become more influenced by the people you hang out with. And while this can become a fear for reaching out for those outside the church, we must risk this if we are to do ministry. If we want to reach the lost, you must know the lost. All biblical love, and this is your last one on the blank, all biblical love has direction unto the one to whom we surrender our love. All biblical love has direction unto the one to whom we surrender our love. It's why mutually indwelling is so transformative. It's why mutually indwelling is so transformative. We are designed to be unto each other. This is not a flaw of the fall. We are complete as one body, the church. That's why Paul makes those analogies throughout his letter. We complete each other as we indwell in each other's lives. That was supposed to be a fell in the blank, but I didn't put it on your sheet. But this idea of we complete each other as we indwell in in each other's lives. Think about that. As we indwell in one another's lives, we complete the other person. We complete each other as the church and as we build each other up. Okay? The God of the universe has done this in our lives. He has been committed to, with us, for us, and given himself unto us. The God we serve is a God who came off his throne to meet his people like us in the midst of our sin. This love is the mark of Christ's commitment to his community. And it is what makes us Christ's community. How can we better be a mark of love in the midst of our community? And that's what we're going to spend our time in transformation groups discussing. How can we, in light of the love of God, love others?